Father, thank you so much for your joy in the Lord. Thank you that you are a wonderful and an amazing God that pours out your blessing on us day to day. Whether you give or you take away, your name is blessed because ultimately you gave us the greatest sacrifice ever, your son Jesus Christ, that whoever puts their faith and trust in him might know and have eternal life. Not just the there and then, but even in the here and now, our lives can be changed. Help us, Lord God, to understand that today, to receive it, to look into your word. May your Holy Spirit quicken it to our hearts, make the applications that we need to make. For it's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. 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 So I want to define for you this morning the word epidemic. The dictionary defines it this way, affecting or tending to affect many individuals within a population, community, or region at the same time. An outbreak or product of sudden, rapid spread, growth, or development. Big deal, right? Why do you start with that? Well, let me just give you a little bit of a story here, background. A book by the name of, entitled The Tipping Point, was written by a man named Malcolm Gladwell some years ago. And in that book, he deciphers and unpacks the whole concept of how epidemics take place. And he uses a very pertinent illustration in our society that happened some years ago. It's actually the, the spread and the increased popularity of a pair of shoes known as hush puppies. Anybody remember hush puppies? Yeah, everybody over 50. <laughs> anybody under that is like, what, what, what's that? For hush puppies, the classic American brushed suede shoes with a lightweight crepe sole, the tipping point came somewhere between late 1994 and 1995, early 1995. This brand had been all but dead until that point. Sales were down about 30,000 pairs a year, mostly to backwoods outlets and small town family stores. You probably could have picked up a pair at the Fayette Country Store at one time, I don't know. But Wolverine, the company that makes Hush Puppies, was thinking of phasing out the shoes that made them famous. But then something really strange happened. At a fashion shoot, two Hush Puppies executives ran into a stylist from New York City who told them that the classic Hush Puppies had suddenly become hip in the clubs and the bars of downtown Manhattan. We were being told, one of them recalls, that there were resale shops in the village in Soho where the shoes were being sold. People were actually going from New York to Massachusetts and Pennsylvania stores, the little stores that still carried them, and buying them all up by the droves. The two executives were baffled at first. It made no sense to them that shoes were so obviously out of fashion could make a wild comeback. And by the fall of 1995, things began to happen in a rush. First, the designer, John Bartlett, called. He wanted to use Hush Puppies in his spring fashion collection. Then another Manhattan designer called, wanting shoes for her show as well. In Los Angeles, another designer put a 25-foot inflatable Basset Hound, the symbol of Hush Puppies brand, on the roof of his Hollywood store and gutted an adjoining art gallery to turn it into a Hush Puppies boutique. While he was still painting and putting up shelves, the actor Pee Wee Herman walked in and asked for a couple of pairs. It was total word of mouth, they say. 
1995, the company sold 430,000 pairs of the classic Hush Puppies, and the next year, it sold four times that amount. Word of mouth. Until once again, Hush Puppies were the staple of the wardrobe of the young American male. In 1996, Hush Puppies won the prize for best accessory at the Council of Fashion Designers Awards Dinner at the Lincoln Center, and the president of the firm stood up on stage with Calvin Klein and another designer and accepted an award for achievement that, as he would be the first to admit, his company had almost nothing to do with. Hush Puppies had suddenly exploded, and it all started with a handful of kids in the East Village of Soho in New York. The rise of Hush Puppies, according to author Malcolm Gladwell in his oft-quoted book, The Tipping Point, is a textbook example of an epidemic in action. It's the clear example of an idea that products, messages, behaviors can spread like viruses do. In other words, contagiousness is more than just biological. Indeed, something like this can be spiritual as well. Get the connection? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. We're going to be jumping around a few passages today. If the sermon seems a little bit disjointed at times, and I'm warning Seth up there in the booth that I may be skipping around depending upon how the heat is affecting us. And uh, so just be warned. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Skip down to verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, and then he begins to preach a message. Skip down from there to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Amen. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an amazing account. What an amazing account. You cannot read the opening chapters of the book of Acts and not be totally astounded by the overwhelming power and exponential spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity was becoming so contagious that it had literally become uncontainable, uncontrollable. Now, the rapid rise of hush puppies and the exponential growth of the church don't seem to have much in common do they? Yet, they do share an underlying pattern. First, they are examples of contagious behavior. Second, they point to the fact that relatively small and seemingly insignificant changes can have gigantic repercussions. And finally, that change can happen very rapidly. Very rapidly. In both cases, the spread didn't build slowly and steadily. No, it hit a certain point and then it exploded. These three characteristics, contagiousness, the fact that little causes can have big effects and that change happens not always gradually, but at one dramatic moment are the same three principles that define how measles moves through a grade school classroom or the flu attacks every winter. Of the three... Gladwell says, the third trait, the idea that epidemics can rise or fall in one dramatic moment is the most important because it is the principle that makes sense of the first two. The name given to that one dramatic moment in an epidemic, when everything can change all at once, he calls the tipping point. The tipping point is the moment of critical mass. It's the threshold, the boiling point. All epidemics have tipping points. The tipping point is the place, now mark this, listen to this well. The tipping point is a place where the unexpected becomes expected. Where radical change is more than a possibility, it is contrary to all our expectations, a certainty. Friends, that statement should sound a clarion call to the church of Jesus Christ. It was the hallmark of the early New Testament church in its practice of spreading the gospel. The unexpected became the expected. They believed that radical spiritual change in people's lives was not just a possibility, but it was an absolute certainty. Now let me ask you a question. Why aren't Acts 2, 42 churches experiencing Acts 2, 47 results. I consider many churches, ours included, to value and exhibit the elements of an Acts 2, 42 church, i.e., they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I think we are that church. I think most churches are like that. But why aren't two Acts 2.42 churches experiencing Acts 2.47 results? And here's the 
to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I see it just the opposite in this country and all over the world. The church does not have favor with all the people, and numbers are not being added day by day. Day by day, people are leaving churches by the droves. What's going on? I think because of one necessary element, at least in this passage, that tips the scales. It's the dividing line between the hush puppies phenomenon and the great spiritual awakening that we can experience. It's in one line in this text. Nine words in Acts chapter 2. What constituted the tipping point of the early church? What's well, found in verse 4 of Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the tipping point? The full and unhindered breath of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Friends, ours is not a call to good marketing techniques and strategies. As I heard Gordon McDonald say one time, we must go beneath the skills and the strategies and ask what it is that causes Christianity to become contagious. What is it at bottom? We must all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That doesn't mean we need to get more of him. It means we need to allow him to possess more of us. And when we start allowing the Holy Spirit to control who we are, what we say, how we act, then and only then will we become contagious and infectious and effective carriers of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we carry this virus of the Holy Spirit into every scenario we find ourselves in, an epidemic of contagious Christianity will eventually break out. It becomes airborne, so to speak. Something Gladwell said in his book really struck me concerning the hush puppies phenomenon. He wrote, no one took out an advertisement and told people that the traditional hush puppies were cool and they should start wearing them. Nobody did that. Those kids simply wore the shoes. And you know where they wore the shoes? They wore them when they went to the clubs. And they wore them when they went to the cafes. And when they walked the streets of downtown New York. And in so doing, they exposed other people to their fashion sense. And they infected them with the hush puppies virus. In other words, when we start wearing the Holy Spirit, wherever we are, wherever we go, to the gym, to Barnes & Noble, or when we walk the halls of our schools or our office buildings or streets of towns, we will expose other people to Christianity, our spiritual fashion sense, Amen. and then it will take off. Jesus. Only then will Acts 2.42 churches experience Acts 2.47 results. Because folks, contagious churches are built around contagious Christians who are infected with a contagious spirit. Amen. Epidemics begin with individuals who pass on the virus. And it boils down to you and me. If we're not contagious, neither will our church be contagious. 
But all it takes is a few people, a few people to exponentially make the church explode. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is at work. We're not doing it. But like I said, don't forget what I said in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with what? Themselves? Marketing strategies? What? Holy Spirit. So don't come back to me later and misquote me and say, Pastor, I think that you were thinking we're going to do this ourselves. We're not going to do it ourselves. The Holy Spirit's going to do it through us. Amen? So consider this example. I give you a large piece of paper. Big piece of paper. Actually tried this one time. And I ask you to fold it over once. And then take that folded piece of paper and fold it over again. And then fold it in half again. And again and again until you have refolded the original piece of paper I gave you 50 times. 50 times. Not that big of a number, right? How tall do you think that final stack is going to be? In answer to that question, most people will fold the sheet in their mind's eye and guess that the pile would be as thick as maybe a phone book. Or, if they're really courageous, they'll say that it would be as tall as a refrigerator. You know what the real answer is? The height of that stack would approximate the distance from here to the sun. From here to the sun. And if you folded it over one more time, the stack would be as high as the distance to the sun and back, right? Because it exponentially multiplies. This is an example of what in mathematics is called a geometric progression. Epidemics are another example of geometric pro progression. Is that right, Eric? Make sense? All right. When a virus spreads through a population, it doubles and it doubles again until it is figuratively grown from a single piece of paper all the way to the sun in 50, mere 50 steps. As human beings, we have a hard time with this kind of progression because the end result, the effect, seems far out of proportion to the cause. And to appre appreciate the power of epidemics, we have to abandon this expectation about proportionality. We need to prepare ourselves for the possibility that sometimes big changes follow small, tiny events. And that sometimes these changes can happen very quickly. When Jesus sent his disciples out under the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that his desire was for geometric progression. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, Jesus spoke a parable to them. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Again, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41. We just read it a minute ago. So then all who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Chapter 5, verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord 
Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Numbers. Chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even were becoming obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Chapter 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. One more, chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Holy moly, how many verses in the book of Acts do we have to read? You think the Lord was at work? Think there was an epidemic going on? See, God wants to work not only through individuals, but an entire church. I believe he wants to work through our church. I believe he is working through our church. But I want to tell you, after this week at Shoulder to Shoulder, I think all the people that were involved in that, we probably realized right away that we cannot become too easily distracted and anesthetized by in-house complacency. Make sense? This is not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus wants us to gather together like we are today, but he also wants us to scatter and do like we did this week as well. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he spoke of a church against which the, hell, the gates of hell would not prevail, he meant that we were going to have an incredible impact and permeating quality in, the, in society and community around us, expanding and taking ground for Christ, a force to be reckoned with, he said, one that penetrates not only the immediate community, but the entire world, because that's the commission of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? One that takes seriously the mission to rescue, redeem, and recruit people far from God and release them as mature followers of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of a contagious church. So what kind of characteristics does a church like that exhibit? Well, here are a few that I just want to outline for you really quickly. I'll try to be quick. It comes right out of a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian. Bear in mind that there are also the characteristics that every individual follower of Christ should hold as well. First of all, a contagious church is one which has evangelism as a basic value. Evangelism is a basic value. Now, this can become very easily forgotten, can it? We can quote John 3.16 so rapidly that we blur the words. Unfortunately, sometimes our actions follow suit. God so loved the world. It's common knowledge in our minds, the problem that it often doesn't sink into our hearts to move us into action. Thankfully, this week proved that otherwise, right? And I'm the first one to admit my weakness here. I mean, I speak and teach so often about the theology of the good news of Christ that I often forget that the personal impact that it should make on my life. Sure, it's a theology to be believed, but it must become a value 
to be lived. And all of us can slip in that. Every one of us can slip in that. Even the most evangelical among us. Whenever I think about that fact, it reminds me of, of something that I read about Billy Graham, who just passed away. When you think about evangelists, who do you think of first and foremost, right? Well, listen to this. It might make you feel better. In his autobiography, Just As I Am, Billy Graham tells about this conversation he had with John F. Kennedy shortly after his election. On the way back to the Kennedy house, the president-elect stopped the car, turned to me, and he said, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? I most certainly do, Billy Graham said. Well, does my church believe it? Well, they have it in their creeds. Well, they don't preach it, he said. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. Billy said, I explained what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that he would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have permanent world peace. Very interesting, Kennedy said, looking away. We'll have to talk more about that someday. And he drove on. Several years later, the two met again at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast. I had the flu, Graham remembers, and after I gave my short talk and, and he gave his, we walked out to the hotel of the hotel to his car together. And as was always our custom, at the curb, he turned to me. He said, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. Mr. President, he said, I've got a fever, I protested. Not only am I weak, but I don't want to give you this thing. Couldn't we wait until, to talk until some other time? It was a cold, snowy day, and I was freezing as I stood there without my overcoat. Of course, President Kennedy said graciously, but the two never would meet again. Later that year, Kennedy was shot and died. Billy Graham comments, quote, His hesitation at the car door and his request haunt me still. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? It was an irrecoverable moment, unquote. Wow. We all fall short, don't we? 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15 and 20 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Contagious church is one which, in which evangelism is a basic value. Secondly, lost people are prioritized. Lost people are prioritized. You can tell immediately if a church values people who are far from God or not the minute that you walk in the door. Because how are people greeted? How are they served? Is there a level of acceptance of people no matter what place they're at? Or does a person who knows nothing about Christ, are they treated as outside the loop? Jim Simbola, who pastors Brooklyn Tabernacle, has a church in the heart of New York City which criminals, drug addicts, 
Alcoholics, murderers, gang members, street people, etc., routinely walk in and interrupt their services. And yet hundreds have become believers in Christ because the pastors, as well as the congregation, have adopted the value that lost people matter to God. More than the order of service, more than the style of dress, more than any Christian protocol. And that is not to say that the church should have no guidelines or no structure, but it must also have respect for the fact that people who are far from God cannot be expected to act like Christians. Author Ron Kincaid wrote, a serious problem for Christians today is that we have allowed evangelism to slip into the sales department and out of the service department, but when there is no serving, there is no selling. Another indication of whether lost people are prioritized or not is how decisions are made and funds are allocated. How much outreach is going on in a church? Which would you likely, most likely be involved in? Inviting your friends to a potluck or a luncheon or personally interacting with and serving the needy of the community? That's, that's a good question after this week that we all must wrestle with, isn't it? Which would you be more apt to drive to attend? Thirdly, a contagious church is one in which outreach is integrated into every area of the church. Churches that are contagious have an element of evangelism worked into every area of ministry, from the nursery to the leadership. Evangelism is not a side issue only for the gifted evangelists of the church, but it is impl implemented at every point. And... Uh, one pastor says, when this is the case, it'll be difficult to pin down exactly when or where it happens because it will be happen, happening all over the place, in-house, out of the house, wherever you are. And you know why? Because evangelism becomes everybody's responsibility. Not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the ministry leaders, Right? It's everyone's responsibility. Well, I don't know if you remember or not, but years and years and years ago, 1964, there was a death of a young Queens woman by the name of Kitty Genovese. She was chased down an alley by her assailant and attacked three times on the street over the course of a half an hour as 38 of her neighbors looked on from their windows. And during that time, not one of the 38 called the police. Now this, this case provided all kinds of studies over the years. Rounds of self-recrimination became symbolic of the cold dehumanizing effects of urban life. But it might not necessarily reflect that. Through many, many studies, what they found out basically is that everybody thought that the other person was going to call. And so they didn't. And that's a problem, spiritually, when it comes to the church, right? In the case of Kitty Genovese, then social psychologists argue the lesson is not that no one called despite the fact that 38 people heard her scream. It's that no one called because 38 people heard the scream. Ironically, had she been attacked on a lonely street with just one witness, she probably would have lived. 
That phenomenon can happen in a church, and especially as it grows in numbers. Everyone in the group believes evangelism is being done by everybody else. But effective evangelism is a team activity as well. You know what? The solo evangelist is not the typical model in Scripture. It's not. Scripture presents to us something else. Jesus recruited 12 men and sent them off in pairs in Matthew and Mark chapter 6. Later, he commissioned 70 and sent them in pairs in Luke chapter 10. In Acts chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, if you look at that, it says, and when they had prayed, circle the word they, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. See, Paul advocated this principle of team, the team of people working toward a common goal rather than in competition with one another. 1 Corinthians 3 speaks to that issue. And Romans chapter 16 is a virtual contact list of Paul's fellow team workers that he said assisted him in the gospel ministry. Friends, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Let's not assume that someone else is going to do what you and I know we ought to be doing. The Contagious Church is a team effort. It's a place where outreach is integrated into every area of ministry, and therefore it is a place where the seeking process is respected and facilitated. Now, while the urgency of receiving Christ is of paramount importance, the spiritual reality is that people cannot be pushed into the kingdom because sometimes it's a process, right? It is. High-pressure tactics don't always work. That doesn't mean we water down the message or compromise the gospel by not presenting it in biblical terms. On the contrary, we must be bold and clear about what the gospel is. However, we must also realize that it is the spirit that dictates the process of a person's journey. So this shoulder-to-shoulder thing that just occurred this week, we need to view that as just a piece of the puzzle. Not everything occurred this week that is going to occur. God has probably much more in store and planned. That was always the case with our living nativity year after year after year. We realized that it was one step in the process that some people might take. It was an introduction to Jesus Christ for some people. And later on, maybe even years later, they came to become his disciple. It's a process, and we need to respect that. Fifthly, seekers' questions are valued and addressed in a contagious church. Valued and addressed. In Conspiracy of Kindness, Steve Shogren tells us true story of Joe Delaney and his eight-year-old son, Jared, who were playing catch in their backyard in the Cincinnati area. Jared asked his dad, Dad, is there a God? Joe replied that he went to church only a few times when he was a kid, and he really had no idea. So Jared ran into the house, and he said, I'll be right back. Moments later, he returned with a helium balloon from the circus, a pen, and an index card. He says, I'm going to send God an airmail message. Dear God, wrote Jared, if you are real and you are there, send people who know you to dad and me. And he let it go. Two days later, Joe and Jared pulled into a car wash sponsored by Shogren's church. 
And Joe asked, how much for the car wash? Joe said, it's free. No strings attached. But why are you doing this, Joe asked. We just want to show God's love in a practical way. Are you guys Christians? The kind of Christians who believe in God? <laughs> Shogun said, yes, we're that kind of Christians. And from that encounter, Steve led Joe to faith in Christ. And many people may be only one act of kindness from meeting a true Christian. And we saw that happen this week as well. And you'll hear about that next week as they present. Churches that want to reach people who are honestly seeking the truth will be prepared to answer their questions, no matter how complicated or seemingly elementary they are. And sometimes the answer is, well, I don't know, but I'll help you to find out. Sixthly, Contagious Church is a church in which the leaders model evangelism. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, Not long afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby cities and villages to announce the good news concerning the kingdom of God, and he took his 12 disciples with him. How effective do you think disciples would, the disciples would have been in their ministry if Jesus hadn't led the charge? If he just told them to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. See, it's not enough that I just stand and preach evangelism, but I need to be engaged in it as well. And that's a tough one because this message challenges me as well as it does you. I realize that in order for you to catch a vision of strategically and intentionally touching the lives of those who are much, who are uh, outside the faith, that I need to be as active in it as anyone, probably much more so than I am. And so does Chris and so does Henry. And thankful we've had opportunities to be involved in it. And we get them every day, practically. But the fact is, every, every single visible leader in this church needs to be involved in that as well. Because a contagious church is one where evangelism is a basic value, lost people are prioritized, outreach is integrated into every area of the church, the seeking process is respected and facilitated, seekers' questions are valued and respected and addressed, and leaders model it, and seventhly, members are equipped to spread their faith. That happens through small groups. They're helping a ton in this area. Apologetics classes have been offered. Sunday mornings in order to equip believers to gain a better handle on what the Bible teaches. We got right now media that you can get all kinds of resources for. And one-on-one -on -one discipleship cannot be emphasized enough. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, rightly handling the word of truth. Contagious Church is also a place where innovation is valued and employed. And I don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but the Holy Spirit is the most creative genius of all time, wouldn't you say? Amen? It stands to reason that when we are truly filled with him, methods and means to reach people for Christ with the gospel will be varied and dynamic, ever-changing, and change scares people to death. The fact is, however, that innovation is nothing new to Christianity. 
Nothing new at all. The greatest movements and spiritual awakenings in history have been led by people who were willing to think creatively and color outside the lines of the status quo. Martin Luther, D.L. Moody, Calvin, Wesley, William Booth, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, Francis Chan, many contemporary examples have transformed the way that we communicate Christ to the community. A church that wants to become contagious must place a high value on that. And we need innovators, risk takers, who will employ effective ways to bring the gospel to the lost. Contagious Church is also a church where the relevance of the Bible is emphasized. Hey, listen. The Bible gives us wisdom for everyday life, amen? You can go out and do service all day long, but if it's not based on what this word says, if it's not based on the truth of the Bible, it's just social work. People need to know what it means to embrace the salvation of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry, but they're not just going to get that from watching you live. They need to hear it from your mouth. It's the word of God that changes people's lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Amen? All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us what to do that is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Finally, yay. Contagious church is a church where the truth is not compromised. That's important, so important as we deal with the culture. As one man wrote, contagious churches have learned that they must communicate to their culture without compromising with their culture. We cannot dilute the message of the cross of Jesus Christ or diminish the conflict that it produces if we're always trying to avoid conflict with the people that we serve and with the people that we minister to We're not going to get the gospel across because the gospel is offensive to some people. If the cross of Christ is watered down, the battle for people's souls is already lost, my friends. It's already lost. Paul again wrote to the Corinthians, we are not like so many others who handle God's message as if it were cheap merchandise, but because God has sent us, we speak with sincerity in his presence. Servants of Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. There is one more. It's the last thing in Acts chapter 2. And it's what they said was happening after all of this other stuff was taking place. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That final thing is that people recognize that God is present. There is a tangible sense of spiritual power in a church like that. I love the way the ESV states it. And awe came upon every soul. 
every soul. Not, oh, here we go again. No, it's like, oh, man, I'm overwhelmed with the thought that God is here, present in this place. I'm awestruck and humbled by the thought of it. This sense of wonder described in Acts is what takes place when the Holy Spirit is in operation in an entire church's life. When every member has caught the virus, that's when an epidemic breaks out. People encounter and experience God. Because, why? Because he's clearly at work in your life and in mine, as well as your neighbors. Miracles happen. Lives are changed. Intensity steps up. The lost find Christ. Expectancy multiplies. Other churches are affected by it. Catch the vision, and this spiritual virus spreads. And all the while, prayer is going on with increased intensity. There's an across-the-board commitment to prayer. And you may be wondering why I didn't use make prayer one of the elements. That's because it has to be in every single element. It has to be going on at all times. Otherwise, there's no fruit. It doesn't get any better than what we just read in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Contagious churches are built around contagious Christians who are infected with a contagious spirit. That is the tipping point. It's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, the glory of your name and your gospel. And the fact, Lord God, that we have been privileged and invited to be part of this kingdom-building process. Father, help us, Lord, as we move out from here to continue what's been going on all week. Not only at shoulder to shoulder, but hopefully in the hearts and minds and in the lives and in the workplaces of all of the people here at Fayette Baptist Church. May we be contagious May we allow ourselves to be filled with your spirit. For it's in Christ's name and for his purposes that I pray. Amen.